Good morning. We are packed out for the child dedication. I wanted to extend a thank you to all of you. Uh, some of you may not know, but uh, Steve and I and our families had the chance to get away this week, and uh, some of you covered for us, some of you supported us, some of you prayed for us, and so we want to we say thank you. It was a great time of uh, uh, just hanging out in San Diego with, uh, with our families, connecting, and having some time of uh, rest and relaxation, and Got to watch out for those trichler boys. They're pretty good at games. They'll take your money, I'm telling you. You got to, be, you got to watch them, but they're, no, no money exchanged hands. We had a great time, and I just wanted to start off by saying thanks. Uh, we really needed it, and it was good. Um, for those of you who are here, uh, maybe for the first time because of the dedication, want to catch you up to speed with where, you're, where we're at. We're in the book of John, and uh, we're in the second kind of mini-series, and it's, it's entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? Meeting Jesus Christ through his miracles, through his signs and his ministry, and uh, all the way up through uh, chapter 12. It's, we're just going to be looking at Jesus and, and asking ourselves that question, who are you? Who, who is Jesus Christ? What is he all about? And many times it's going to come from his very mouth. Michael uh, Deverell kind of got us started in John chapter 3 last week. He talked about... Um, this man, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was kind of a, a ruler of that time. He was, he was kind of a, the, the typical representative of this is what a Jewish leader is. This is what, what um, a religious leader looks like. You observe the law. You follow the tradition that's been laid out for you and handed down from generation to generation to generation. You're very pious in observing that law. You're just careful. Every, everything you try and follow as closely as you can. He's educated, he's wealthy, he's powerful. He's got a foot in the Greek world and a foot in the Jewish world. He, he's the man. And uh, in this culture, he's just, he's the top dog. He's the top banana. And uh, he comes to Jesus at night. This is all, I'm just kind of recapping from what, what happened last week with Michael. He comes to Jesus at night. Okay, this is, this is Nicodemus. He's the man. He's the man in this whole thing. And he comes to Jesus at night not wanting to be noticed kind of approaching this, this Jesus guy who's been performing miracles. And he says, Rabbi, we know, you, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. He kind of compliments Jesus saying, hey, God must be with you. You've done some phenomenal things, so God must be with you. And Jesus just cuts through the baloney, and he says, you know what, Nicodemus? I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Michael last week took time to unpack what it means to be born again. It's kind of that phrase that maybe, maybe you are like I was, where I heard those words from people, I just, I cringe, born again. That's so foreign. What is that? What does that mean? And the people that I kind of classified as born agains, I didn't want to be like them. I didn't want to become like they were, whatever born again was, because I didn't like what I saw in them. And Michael hopefully um, clarified what born again means, born from above, born by the Spirit of God, that something happens as you, as you begin to follow Christ, as you, as you choose him to be your life leader, that something happens internally. God, by his Spirit, changes you. You're not born again like coming out of your mother's womb like Nicodemus talked about, but you're born again spiritually. Something changes in you. God just does something in your heart. And in, the, in verse 7 of, of chapter 3, it says, you must be born again. 
There is no other way. You, this, Jesus is saying this must happen in your life. If you want to have a relationship with God, you must do this. Today we're going to move on to, to verses 9 through 15, but I want to give you just, I want you to pause right now and just kind of give you the forest of where we're at. We're going to look at a couple trees in the forest, but the forest of where we're at, we're going to spend some time looking back at chapter 1, because chapter 1 is the introduction of the whole book. And I think there's things that as John was writing the introduction of this book, he was looking at Nicodemus and saying, what I'm talking about in this introduction, I have Nicodemus in my mind. He typifies some of these things I mentioned in the introduction. So we'll get, we'll get to that. Also, um, if you have the chance, you, you need to look at Nicodemus, and then you need to look at the Samaritan woman who comes up in a uh, later chapter, in chapter 4. Try and, like, if you, if you have time, look at chapter 3, look at chapter 4, and compare and contrast the two stories. It's great. It is great. Um, but we're going to spend some time, those are two side notes, in, in John chapter 3, verses 9 to 15, if you have a Bible in the pew, you can grab it. Um, it'll, some of the, the scripture will be up on the screen here. John 3, verses 9 through 15. Will you pray with me? God, um, for the next uh, few minutes that we're together, I want to invite you to speak. And God, allow us to not hear Cor's words, but to hear your words Help us to hear this morning what you want us to hear. And God, help us to believe. Help us to follow. By your Spirit, do something in us that allows us to respond and not to forget these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, John 3, verses 9 to 15, read this way. So basically... Uh, setting the stage from those prior verses, Jesus has laid on Nicodemus this stuff. You got to be born again. You got to live by my spirit. And Nicodemus responds, How can this be? How can this be? Jesus says, You are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. First point, Nicodemus fails to understand what Jesus is saying. He fails to understand what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to live by your spirit? Your, Jesus kind of gave this description of the wind acting as, as the spirit does. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. You can just hear it sound. And Nicodemus says, I don't understand. I don't understand life in your spirit. I don't understand being born again. How can this be? And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. You're the one that I expect should under, understand these things. You're the teacher. Can you imagine a third grader going to a third grade class and the teacher doesn't know the ABCs? It's like, you're the teacher. If you don't know this, how am I supposed to learn it, you know? And, he, and, and why does Jesus expect him to know this? Why would Jesus expect Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel to know these things? 
It's laid out time and time again in the Old Testament. I love uh, Steve's class on Romans. If you ever have a chance to take Steve's class on Romans, we spend some time in the Old Testament. It's there. Faith in God and God crediting that as righteousness, that it's not something we do, but it's something God does. It's there. God putting his spirit in us. Look at Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. The same theme is reiterated in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is saying, this is the way it's always been. I've always been pointing towards this, this moment where you'd be born again. You'd live by my spirit. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I'll pour water on, thirst, on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You are the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. I need you to understand these things. Then we have a little bit of a sidebar in the story. Jesus said, Nicodemus had said, how can these things be? Jesus says, what? you're Israel's teacher. I need you to know these things. But he doesn't quite answer yet that question of how can these things happen? How can these things be? He kind of goes a little sidebar in verses 11 through 13. Jesus gives validation to his own words. He says, this is why what I say is true. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. There's loaded with information here. And I think one of the pieces that I really love about this is, is Jesus and the, the words that he used. Back in chapter 3, verse 2, this is how Nicodemus first interacted with Jesus. He says, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Now Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know. Okay? That's what you know, Nicodemus? Let me tell you what I, I'm going to tell you what I know. And I feel like it's just classic because Jesus knows things the way they truly are. He knows things the way they truly are. He testifies to what he's seen. And I see a big connection between what Jesus is saying right here in verses 14 and 18 of chapter 1. Chapter 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Who, in, in all this culture, in all this Jewish culture, of all the religious leaders, who is the best person to give clarity to who God is and what he's all about? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only. Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, is going to make him known, Nicodemus. I'm going to make known God to you right now. Because I've seen it. I've seen him. You have not. And he says these words. 
We testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. We testify to what we've seen. The, the plural we there, it's kind of confusing. Jesus is talking. He has been talking in the first person. He kind of switches to the, the plural of we. Um, there's debate about what that means, what that looks like. At the very least, it's Jesus and somebody, probably the disciples, but Jesus is saying, hey, we've seen these things, and you people still do not accept our testimony. And I want to I land there for a second with you guys. Because I think this is one of the strongest things that Jesus is saying right here. He's talking to, he's talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is kind of an example of all the religious leadership at that time. He's saying, still, you people do not accept our testimony. You don't accept the, the words about me. You're religious, but you don't accept my words. And hope. You, by the outside world, you guys are looked at as, as religious because you come, you've come to church on a Sunday morning. A lot of people don't do that. So the outside world is viewing you as religious. And the question that I have for you this morning is, do you accept the words of Jesus Christ? Do you accept his testimony? Do you accept what he says about himself? In here, Jesus says, you people do not accept our testimony. It's a present tense. This is habitual. You're not accepting my testimony. Here's Nicodemus, a person who should know, and Jesus is saying, you, you don't understand. You don't get it. It's not about law. It's not about a tradition. It's about believing in me, looking at me. We had the opportunity in San Diego to go to the beach and visit the ocean, which uh, Drew and Isaac have never done. And Isaac didn't really understand it. He's only one, so we'll uh, give him some leniency. But Drew is really excited. It's like any kind of water, whew, like a moth to a flame. Drew just loves water. Bathtub water, pool water, ocean water, doesn't matter. Go into the water. But, like, I mean, the ocean can take this kid out, you know. So I got I. I'm like, Drew, here's the deal, buddy. Big waves, crash, come up to shore, take you out, all right? I'm trying to help you here. And, and I can see where the waves have come up to you. There's a definite, definite difference between where it's dry and where it's wet. And I can see the wetness, and so I want to just get him onto that wetness barely, because if the water comes up, it's still going to, you know, kind of cover the feet, cover the ankles. So I'm trying to take him through this. It's like, all right, Drew, here's the deal. They'll come to you. The waves will come to you. You don't have to go down to them. The waves will come to you. I take a long time to kind of explain this to him, and then I let him go. And the waves aren't coming to him. So what does he do? There's the water over there. So he starts walking towards the water, and sure enough, big wave comes in, takes him out, down to his butt, sandy butt. I had a picture, but I couldn't get it up on the screen for you. But uh, totally takes him out. Totally takes him out. So that's when I felt it was my fatherly duty to come up, come alongside, wrap my arm around and say, son, you did not heed my testimony. <laughs> Clearly, I have a better understanding of the ocean. No, <laughs> I didn't actually do that. But here, I, I'm in a position. I've been to the ocean before. I understand waves and, and stuff. I'm in a better position to try and help him out, but he just, he went for it and he got taken out. And, I, and Jesus is kind of doing the same thing here. I have, I, it goes on to say, um, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's me, son of man, Jesus Christ. I'm the one. I have insight on this that you don't have. And that's so critical. 
that Jesus has an, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has an authority over your life to tell you things that though you may not understand them at first, you're called to believe. You're called to live in that truth. Thirdly, Jesus helps Nicodemus understand his words. Jesus helps Nicodemus to better understand. This is kind of, how can these things be? All right, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what's this uh, Moses lifting up the snake in the desert thing? It goes back to Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. And the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Sounds like our trip to San Diego. No, no, no. (laughs) Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Did you get that? Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake... He lived. Kind of picture that in your mind. There's snakes all along the ground. Moses makes a bronze snake, puts it up on a pole. If you're bitten and you look at that bronze snake, you can live. Now, it's not anything about the bronze snake. It's God. But the reality is you you have to take your eyes off the snakes that are biting you and, and put your eyes upward. Like the song says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Lifting your eyes up to this bronze snake would save you. Gazing at the serpent, okay, gazing at this bronze snake, bronze snake was God's given means of life. This is the way God said, this is the way I'm going to give you life. You're going to look at the bronze snake that's lifted up. That's the means by which I'm going to save you from these poisonous snakes. God desired to save, and he had the power to save. Take your eyes off the ground, look up. This is so important in football. Anybody, high school football? It's like uh, region final, my, my, my junior year, playing Creighton Durham Hall. It was one of the Rosgas. I don't know if you guys know the Rosgas. One played at Colorado, one played at Wisconsin. Uh, I put my head down, and I got railed by this guy. I wasn't even in the play. Just totally had my head down. And so I learned from that day, I always keep your head up. And that's what it's just like, put your eyes up. Put your eyes up on God. Here again, in, um, as it was in, in, in verse 7 where it says, you must be born again. In verse 14 of chapter 3, it says the Son of Man must be lifted up. Some of you may come into this room and wonder, was it really necessary for Jesus Christ to die on a cross? Was it really necessary? Couldn't have God just saved us any other way, some other way? Surely he could have, right? It says right here, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that just like people lifted up their eyes to the bronze snake, now we lift our eyes up to Jesus Christ and might have eternal life. The Son of Man is an integral part of this born-again life by His Spirit. It's a big, big issue. But there's a part where the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
And the question that, Je- the, the statement that Jesus posed to Nicodemus was, we testify to what we've seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. My question again for you is, will you accept the testimony before you? Will you accept this testimony? I marked out four things. Just between verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 15, there's four things that I feel like are testimonies from Jesus Christ. One, uh, the, that you must be born again. That's J- Jesus said that. Nicodemus, your religious leader, you follow the law, these traditions that have been handed down to you. Guess what? You must be born again. Another one. Jesus is of heavenly origin. He, he's not made. He, he's not part of the created order. As it says in uh, chapter 1 of verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's Jesus. He is heavenly origin. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? There are a lot of churches who are saying that is not necessary. What do you believe? And why do you believe that? And through believing in him, through believing in Jesus Christ, you may have eternal life. Remember that song that we sang? It's the mystery of the universe. You're the God of holiness, yet you welcome souls like me. That's the mystery of the universe, that that a holy God in us who go our own way, who slap him in the face, who would rather consider ourselves and our own lives rather than him, yet he welcomes, he invites souls like us. I want you to close your eyes. I want to invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so. And just pretend like it's just you and Jesus in a room. And you're Nicodemus. Hear his words today. Hear the words right out of Jesus Christ's mouth. You must be born again. I must be lifted up. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. God, right now we want to thank you for your word. You direct us, you guide us by your word. And God, we may be tempted to not believe your word, to not believe that it's true. Maybe we came across a poor example of what a born-again person should look like. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a church leader. And we've always resisted that whole idea. Or we've resisted that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for my sin. God, this is your testimony. God, will you help us to accept your words, to believe you, and in doing so, inherit eternal life, forever life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.